We are going to do now what we do each Sunday. We're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, Bible app, there is a Bible under the chair in front of you. If you want to turn to our passage today, it's not Psalm 95, sorry, but Psalm 23. Uh, and when you found that, if you would stand together with me in the honor of God's Word, and I'll read this for us together. Psalm 23, David writes this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths, or paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly and we'll dive into this. Spirit of God, we just ask for the illumination of your word to our hearts and our minds, that you would break through every obstacle, every distraction, everything that would get in the way of that, and accomplish the purpose for which you send out this word today in each one of us, whatever that is. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Well, it was um, over 12 years ago now, but the, the memory is so vivid in my mind now that it feels like it was really like 12 days ago. I was uh, driving downtown Seymour Street, my youngest daughter, she was in the back seat, in her car seat, uh, picking up my wife from work, and a driver uh, abs uh, kind of just absentmindedly rear-ended us uh, in the midst of this time. Now, it wasn't like a high-speed collision. You know, we were fine for the most part. My daughter was fine. I did, however, sustain a little bit of whiplash. Um, which then developed into like this increasingly severe neck pain, which would like radiate up into my jaw, into my shoulder. Really painful, like super uncomfortable. And I tried all kinds of things to deal with that. Uh, massage therapy, went to see a physio, was pretty much living on a diet of Tylenol and Advil for weeks. Just whatever I could to help with this and nothing was getting any better, just getting worse. It wasn't until finally one day my physio just kind of almost absentmindedly said, well, you know, you should probably, like, why don't you go and see the dentist? Like, at least he could kind of x-ray that area and maybe just see if there's something else going on. Which at that time, suddenly I remembered that I had actually lost a filling in a tooth a number of weeks earlier on the same side of my mouth that I was experiencing all this neck pain. Now, that's not to say that the whiplash that I had experienced wasn't contributing to all the painful situation I was in, but yeah, what I later discovered was an abscessed tooth in that same place where I had lost the filling weeks earlier. That was pretty much the main culprit, right? That was what was definitely causing all the pain radiating through every part of that side of my body. Not, not a great experience. But as I've shared with you many times over the years, um, yeah, the dentist, probably one of the least favorite people in my life ever that I ever want to go and see. Um, you know, I've got nothing against dentists in particular, but it's just not something I enjoy. The very smell as I walk in there just gets me anxious and upset. Um, so that's going to be a problem because 
having to deal with this. Um, I, I'm just not wanting to do it. I don't know if it's just because I had scary, uncomfortable, awkward experiences as a kid growing up. Maybe I've got an overly sensitive mouth. I don't know what it is, but just like, I will avoid the dentist at all costs. Apparently even like so much so that I'm willing to just numb my face every night for 15 minutes with ice packs so that I can sleep for a few hours rather than go and see this dentist. Now to be fair, I didn't actually know initially that this failure to address um, my lost filling was what was causing me so much pain. Initially, I didn't realize that that was the problem. I thought it was connected to the whiplash. But what I absolutely knew was that there was a problem with my tooth that needed to be addressed, and, and I wasn't willing to do it. I was, I was avoiding that at all costs. And the reason is because, in my mind, the cure was worse than the disease. And I don't know. I don't know if you can relate to that particular experience of avoidance or not in your own life. Um, maybe that's, you've got your own thing. But as it relates to these spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude that we're going to be looking at today from Psalm 23, I think every single one of us can relate to the way that we try to avoid practicing these disciplines at all costs, which might sound surprising, might sound like actually a completely wrong statement to a number of people in here. If you're parents with young children, you're like, oh, please. Are you kidding me? I, I would give anything for five minutes of silence and solitude. I don't know what you're talking about. Or like, you know, our introverts in here, like where are all our introverts at in the church? Okay, I can see you kind of sort of putting your hands up. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. You know, our introverts, right? The ones who, aside from the, you know, scary health risks, saw COVID-19 as kind of like a blessing, actually, because it now allowed you to have a built-in excuse to not hang out with people instead of having to just admit you didn't want to. Uh, the introverts, I mean, they're like, I, I seek solitude every chance I can get. I, well, I don't know what you're talking about avoiding those things. Well, here's the thing. I think the reality is that even for those people who feel desperate for silence and solitude or those people who love it, the reality is that we all still try to avoid practicing these two disciplines. And the reason, I think, is because of our own scary, uncomfortable experiences of what silence and solitude have caused us to hear and to see in the past. Things that we actually don't, don't want to see and to hear. Like, for instance, you know, you're, you're getting ready in the morning, you're brushing your teeth, brushing your hair, whatever, and you, get a, you make eye contact with yourself in the mirror. Has this ever happened? And for a moment, you just think you see yourself and you're looking at yourself and it's just like, it's this really awkward, uncomfortable experience. Or, or those minutes, like at the end of the day, when you're just about to drift off to sleep, the light's off, the phone and the laptop is put away, and you can finally hear that voice or those questions that you've been working so hard to just avoid and ignore all day, that those voices can finally be heard. We think that the practice of silence and solitude is, is about seeking out those kinds of moments intentionally, which is why so many of us want nothing to do with it. We're like, yeah, no thanks, I'm all good. I, I don't need any more experiences like that, thank you. But, um, listen, if you hear nothing else of what I say this morning, I need you to hear this at least. The absolute gold, like, like the treasure that can be found in these practices and these two disciplines, it far outweighs any fear, any apprehension you might have in practicing and making use of these gifts when you understand what they're really about. Because that's the thing, when truly practiced, 
when you come to understand what these joint disciplines actually are, what you finally find yourself able to hear is not your own voice at all, but the voice of God himself. What you see is not that vision of yourself that makes you uncomfortable, but you see the way your Father in heaven sees you and feels about you. Which, if you didn't know already, is a, is a voice of love and acceptance and compassion and, and a vision and a gaze of absolute delight. I don't know how many of you, like, if you thought, okay, if I could experience that by practicing these disciplines, you'd want to maybe, like, Give them a second look. Maybe, maybe use these in your own life as a part of your own formation to Jesus if you thought you could experience something like that. Because remember, this whole summer series that we've been going through, we're calling In Formation, it's all about learning these spiritual disciplines that when practiced, okay, we're not just learning about them, right? We're practicing them, we're experiencing them. They form us to look and live more and more like Jesus. And when you look at the gospel accounts, what you see actually over and over again is Jesus himself practicing these very disciplines of silence and solitude. He's, he's leaving the crowds behind. He's even leaving his disciples behind, going away to be alone with his father. I mean, it's, it seems like it was something that was actually essential for his life and ministry. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that if this was essential for Jesus, probably, probably something that could be meaningful to us too, something that could be essential for our own life and ministry in order to be growing and more effective in life as well. And so really, just in order to help us kind of just start to get a glimpse of all that God has for us in these practices of silence and solitude, I want to look at just two things together with you from this relatively well-known psalm this morning. We're going to talk about how we hear better in silence, and then the way that we see better in solitude. Just those two things. We hear better in silence. We see better in solitude. Okay, so if you closed your Bible, your Bible app, could you actually open it again with me to that passage, Psalm 23, beginning at verse 1. Follow along with me as we learn about these deeply important yet often ignored disciplines together. Okay, so let's look first of all about how we hear better in silence. We hear better in silence, which probably sounds like one of the most like, self-evident statements ever. You're like, um, yeah, okay, yes. Right. Like if, you're, if you are parents with young kids, you get this. If you have ever tried to have any kind of meaningful conversation at a party or at a concert, you're just like shouting back and forth at each other. You what? You what? It's, it's pointless to even try. You know, okay, yes, self-evident. And yet as self-evident as this idea is, we hear better in silence, I wonder how many of us actually know how to get quiet enough when it comes to our relationship with God and it relates to our having our conversation with him. How many of us know what that looks like? Which, hear me, it's not about just turning off your phone. I'm not here to, like, bash on phones this morning. It's not even about just, like, trying to block out the incessant noise which is constantly competing for our attention. It's also about where we're actually able to be quiet ourselves. We learn how to just, like, stop talking long enough to actually listen. It's all of those things all together where we learn to quiet ourselves enough to hear the voice of our Father. Some of you might know, actually, a kind of famous example of this from the Bible, a story back in 1 Kings 19, where uh, Elijah, he's on the run from Jezebel. She's trying to take his life, and he's hiding out in a cave. 
And at one point, God tells him to come to the mouth of the cave. He wants to talk with him. And as he comes towards the cave, we hear that this massive wind comes, which is like shaking the mountains, tearing apart rocks, followed by an earthquake, shaking the mountains. And then after this comes a fire, hot and blazing. But with each one of these descriptions, it's followed by this refrain. But the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. And then we read these words in verse 12. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. What would it look like for you to get quiet enough to hear the gentle whisper of God's voice? What would you need to do? What would need to change in your patterns right now in order to be able to do that? Because here's the thing, what I believe David is describing for us in Psalm 23 is what you can expect to find, not if you can, but when you are able to get quiet enough to hear that voice. He's showing us what you can expect to find. Which maybe is a surprising thing for you to hear because, I don't know, where, where you hear this psalm read most often is where? Funerals, right? That's where you hear it. And, and you know what? That makes sense. It's entirely appropriate kind of particularly considering what David says there in verse 4 about Jesus' comforting presence with us in these dark valleys. The valley is dark as the shadow of death. But here's what I'd like you to consider. What if Psalm 23 was revealing the comforting, restorative presence of Jesus that he wants you to experience in every part of your life, not just at the end of it, as you learn what it's like to get quiet enough to hear his invitation? What if it's all about what he wants us to experience in his presence when we can get quiet enough to hear him? I think that's what David is describing for us here as he pictures our relationship to God through Jesus. Look at verse 1 again. As a sheep with their shepherd. That's the first kind of picture David uses. A sheep with the shepherd. Which, I mean, it's a cute picture. You know, very hallmark, very just like, it seems nice and warm. But if you've been around church very long, you also know that that's not necessarily meant to be a compliment to us. Uh, sheep are not exactly known for their mental prowess. Some of the dumber animals uh, in the animal kingdom. But what this picture does show us, actually, in a really beautiful way, it describes both the protection as well as the provision found in Jesus' presence. So, first of all, protection. Look again at verse 4. David, David says uh, there is comfort. He receives comfort from the shepherd's rod and his staff. Now, the, the rod, historically speaking, was like a club that the shepherd carried made of metal or wood, which was used uh, to fight off predators that would come against the sheep. So it means this, this aspect was used only on enemies and never on the sheep. And then, after that, you've got the rod, which historically speaking, or sorry, the, the staff, which was this uh, long thing we see all the time with shepherds, the long pole with the kind of hook on the top which was used both to guide the sheep as well as at times to rescue them, pull them out of stuff. So we're just describing this picture of the tools that the shepherd has in order to provide protection for the sheep. Next, look at verse uh, 2 and 3 here. We see what it says about the provision of this shepherd as he leads the sheep to places where they can eat and drink in peace. And we know that they're peaceful places because what people who work with sheep right up in today say is that, first of all, Sheep will not feed in the presence of danger. 
if they feel at all afraid or scared or there's predators around, they won't actually do what they need to survive, which is eat. So we know it's a peaceful place because we see that they're eating. They're eating in these green pastures. Secondly, sheep will not drink if the waters that they're led to are moving too quickly. The waters are not slow and quiet. Or actually, sometimes, apparently, a shepherd would have to go upstream and dam up the stream so that the water would flow more slowly so the sheep would, again, just actually do what they need to do in order to live so they can drink. Again, look at the beginning of verse 2. He describes being made to lay down in these green pastures, which means there's a provision of rest and restoration along with nourishment and satisfaction for our every thirst. So it's a beautiful picture, a peaceful picture, a quiet, restorative picture. But then here's my question for you. Okay, great. Uh, um, in light of this beautiful, restorative picture that David is painting for us here, how many of you would say that that is your regular experience when you come to meet with God through time in prayer, through time in his word, through time in fasting, some of these, some of these disciplines we've looked at already so far, that you feel like you come away feeling rested, restoration, well-fed from time in his presence. I don't, at least not all the time. I mean, this, this is a discipline that I am still learning how to do well also. I'm still trying to learn what it means to be quiet and to seek to hear God's voice more myself because it just always seems to be something. There's always something going on that's vying for my attention. I guess I'm an easily distracted person. I don't know if it's like a conversation in the other room. Someone comes by like playing an awesome song on their stereo that I happen to like. Even just the quiet buzz of a notification on my phone is enough because I haven't like put it somewhere that it's not going to compete for my attention. I'm constantly learning what does it mean to just get quiet. And it always seems like there's something trying to get in the way and distract me. But here's the thing. If, if David's description here of a sheep with their shepherd isn't just a nice image but it's a description of the conditions that are actually necessary in order for us to feed and drink and be restored in Jesus' presence, and that Jesus is wanting to lead us to, then maybe getting quiet enough to hear is something that you and something that I, and something that I need to actually be far more intentional about than we have been up until now. Maybe it's something we need to really think about. How am I, how am I doing at that? Maybe it's part of the answer as to why your times in prayer and the study of God's word still leave you coming away feeling so malnourished. And you're feeling frustrated by that. You're like, I, don't want, I mean, I'm doing the things, praying, reading the Bible. Why do I still feel so alone? Why do I still feel so afraid? Why do I still feel so underfed? Maybe you still haven't found a way to unplug from just the incessant noise that is constantly competing for your attention and to quiet yourself even enough in order to just be quiet and hear your shepherd's voice. To be led to these green pastures he says he wants to lead us and cause us to lie down in. To be nourished by the streams that Psalm 1 a few weeks ago taught us that meditating on God's word has planted us by. Maybe that's the reason. We just need to find the environment, the quiet environment where those things can actually happen, feeding, nourishment. Or maybe the reality is actually you, you know that your time of seeking God, you know your time in his word is actually super loud. It's super distracted. And you're not actually doing anything about it because 
You're afraid, actually. Like I was talking about with the dentist, you're afraid of hearing God's voice. And so I want to go through the motions, but I don't actually want to hear from him. And it's maybe for some of us, it's because your fear is that God's voice is going to be as scary and condemning as your own voice is. Whenever you have those moments, you get quiet enough to hear yourself and you're like, I don't want that. I don't, that doesn't sound good to me. Well, if that's where you're at, I pray that this picture of protection and provision in the presence of God that David gives us here in the opening part of this psalm, it would inspire you to think again about that fear. Think again about that apprehension and getting quiet enough to hear his voice and really trust. Trust that what Jesus is inviting you and me into when we're quiet enough to listen is not another chance to condemn you. It's not another chance to criticize or to point out all the ways that you're failing and not doing enough. It's an invitation to rest. It's an invitation to protection from your enemies. An invitation to nourishment, satisfied thirst, all the things that we're so desperate to find and that can actually be found in Jesus' presence. Okay, so that's how we hear better in silence. Again, maybe a really super obvious statement and reality, but that we still so often fail to implement and that we need to just get better at and be more intentional about in order to feed and be nourished in Jesus' presence. Hopefully this has given you some encouragement to actually want to try that and do that this week. The other thing that I want to look at together with you from this psalm is the way we see better in solitude. How we see better in solitude. It is said that in the famous lace shops of Brussels, there are certain rooms set up for the spinning of the finest and most delicate patterns. The rooms apparently are completely darkened except for one single light that's allowed to shine through a small window and the light falls directly onto the lace pattern. There is only one spinner in the room and he sits where the light focuses his eyes on nothing else but the threads that he is weaving. And from this practice, it is said that the choicest, most beautiful patterns of lace are produced. When you think about that, and we're talking now about this idea of solitude, getting alone, I think that gives us really a perfect picture of how this practice can help us to produce more and more of the beautiful image of Jesus in our lives. And where you see that in Psalm 23, first of all, is back in verse 3. Look with me here. David talks about the shepherd leading or guiding his sheep along right paths or in the paths of righteousness. Okay, righteousness. That, that's a word the Bible uses to describe God's holy perfection. So in a cool way, what this means is that this is kind of like a Psalm 23 description of spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines as our shepherd leads us along paths that make us look more and more like him. That's what happens when we get alone and get quiet with him. Other place you see that most clearly is in verse 4. Look with me there again. Again, I know this is the verse we often think about with funerals. It's comforting us or loved ones in the, in the midst of death. Again, appropriate. But what I want to ask you to consider here, I wonder, as it relates to this practice of solitude, how many of us have ever thought of this valley as dark as death's shadow as being just as much a path of righteousness that God leads us on as the green pastures and quiet waters of verse 2. You ever thought of that? This pathway that Jesus leads us through, 
this valley as dark as the shadow is death, that that is just as much a path of righteousness as the green pastures and quiet waters. I think it's actually a common misunderstanding shared by many that the kind of safe, happy, well-lit times in our lives, those are the paths of righteousness. Jesus is leading us on those paths in the darker, lonelier paths where all other sights and companions are no longer in view. Those are negative experiences that, yeah, Jesus is with us in, but he's really just trying to get us safely through so we can get back to the safe, well-lit paths of righteousness again. You ever, you ever saw your spiritual formation like that? I got to get through these dark paths to get back to the paths of righteousness. What if they both are? Because I think seeing both of these paths as being an essential part of our formation is vital to truly understanding how we're formed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And actually, I would argue, I would submit to you that the darker paths of solitude are the place where the majority of our forming actually takes place. I think it takes place way more there than in the well-lit happy paths. For just like with those lace spinners in Brussels, just like a, a performer up on a stage where the room is dark and it's just a spotlight on them. Focused light on one thing where all other distractions are darkened, it tends to fix our gaze more dependently, allowing that delicate, beautiful work to take place in a way that likely couldn't take place in any other way or in any other circumstances. So, removing yourself intentionally from the busy pace of life, unplugging from all the devices, all the noise, all the distractions, even your own voice, in order to focus all your attention on God, to seek to hear his voice. This is what the practice of solitude is all about. That's what we're trying to get at when we're doing this. And you can likely see, first of all, even as I describe it, as I'm describing what solitude is, why these disciplines of silence and solitude are kind of paired together. They're often practiced together because, have, I mean, silence is kind of just the ready byproduct of getting alone, right? You can actually quiet down when we get away from all people and distractions. So that's why they're often practiced together. But hopefully you see as well a lot of the crossover that happens. There's a lot of partnership and relationship and complement with the other disciplines. You could think about Silence and solitude is really like a fasting from sound in order to seek God more intentionally and directly. In fact, I think you could say easily that silence and solitude are really the disciplines that create the context in which all the other disciplines are best practiced. But what's really cool is that the more intentionally you practice these disciplines of silence and solitude in a way that works for you in your own specific context. Okay, we're going to talk about that more in a second. The more you practice these things and the more comfortable you get with it, the easier it becomes to continue to feed on God's provision, the easier it becomes to find rest in him, even during those times when silence and solitude are not possible to be found. We all know there's those times as well. Sometimes you can't get it. It becomes easier to still feed and find rest, even when you can't find those times, as you become more comfortable with doing it regularly. I think that's exactly what David is talking about in verse 5. Look there with me. He's, instead of the shepherd, now he switches to the image of a host who has set this bountiful feast before us. But look where he sets it. In the presence of my enemies. He sets the feast to feed us in the presence of our enemies, which yeah, could mean people, could mean circumstances, like Elijah was experiencing. I mean, certainly David had all kinds of experiences of people and circumstances that were his enemies. But what about if it's also like 
the enemies of our formation, the enemies of quiet. He sets a feast before us, even in the midst of these enemies, all the distractions, attention-draining things that are always present around us, which means, look, the, the practices of silence and solitude, these are always going to be essential to one degree or another. They will. But they, in a sense, especially initially, they become a training ground, I think you could say, a training ground where we learn how to feed, how to experience peace and rest in Jesus so well that eventually we're able to experience those same things from him, whether we're able to be able to get alone and quiet with Jesus or not. We just get better at doing it. But I don't know, maybe having heard all this, if you're at all like me, your question is like, okay, great. And that does, that sounds right. Sounds good. Um, and I get why this is important, but what does that actually look like for busy modern people like us? Like, I'm not a shepherd like David just hanging out in the field all day. Um, <clears throat> we're not in a monastery where we can just like regularly, whenever we want, have like hours of times of quiet and easily find these quiet places. That's not us. That's not where we're, that's not our context. So what does this actually look like? How do we learn to begin practicing these complementary disciplines at the end of the day ourselves? Great question. Great question. I think the first thing I'd say is bottom line. Bottom line, you need to find a space you can regularly go to where the most amount of distraction can be silenced, blocked out, whatever that is. And that's going to look different for everyone. I mean, what I'm going to describe even in, in these couple of steps, I'm going to describe a, a neurotypical way of doing that. If you, if you are a neurodivergent person, you might have to find different things. You need to find what works for you. Where can you find a space that works for you to get alone and get away and be quiet with God? My family will tell you for 10 years, living in our two-bedroom apartment in Carisdale, that place for me was the bathroom. It's the only place I could, like, shut a door that I could lock and nobody could come in for 10 minutes where I could just be alone with God and be quiet, bring my Bible in there. That was my spot. But, but you need to find your own spot. What's it going to be for you? It shifts. It changes. But you need to be able to intentionally think about what is that spot to get away and be alone with God. Second, it's going to mean having one of these, a paper copy of the Bible. I know. So archaic. A paper copy of the Bible. Not bringing the Bible on your phone. <laughs> um, we're, we're more than happy, please, more than happy to get a paper copy in your hands if you don't own one. Uh, most of us have multiple copies we're just not using. Um, get a paper copy of the Bible that you're going to bring with you when you're getting away to be alone. Because getting away to be alone with God and bringing your phone with you is pretty much just setting yourself up for defeat before you even start. Okay? This is just, just way too much opportunity for distraction, things to come up. There's so many options and fun buttons to push. Um, 100%. Uh, don't bring your phone. Have a physical copy of the scriptures with you when you go to be alone. Third, learn over time to become more comfortable with silence. It's, it's, it's a practice. It's something that takes practice to do. Because, again, we live in this ridiculously connected day and age, which, yeah, previous generations didn't. They weren't nearly as connected as we are, which means we need to be that much more intentional. We need to be that much more, work harder in order to get disconnected, to get to like even this starting point of where they were, where we could just be 
quiet and alone because the reality is that being highly connected means we're also highly distracted, like all the time. Add to that, most of us are completely unfamiliar with what it even means to just be quiet somewhere, not have something on, not have a TV on, not have music on, not have white noise. Think about that. Even when there's nothing else on, we'll put on white noise just so there can be something going on. Uh, and again, I, I realize sometimes there's purposes and reasons for that, but in general, we need to learn and become more comfortable with what it means to just be quiet. So maybe the place that you discover, the place I know I can be alone with God is in my car on the way to work. Awesome. Maybe what that means then is, okay, I'm, I'm rolling up the windows, turning off the radio, turning off the podcast, whatever it is, lose that you know, learning opportunity and just be quiet. Start that trip to work with a simple prayer that just says, God, I just want to meet with you right now alone in your presence. Would you be present with me and speak to me how you want as I'm going to work? And then drive away and just be quiet. That's it. Finally, last part that I'm going to give to us here this morning is about learning to be more comfortable being quiet yourself, which I'm sure would be very surprising for you to hear is the one I find the most difficult to do. Uh, I like to talk a lot, <laughs> and I find it very difficult to just stop either physically talking or my internal monologue is always constantly running to learn what it means to just be quiet. I find it, I find this, I, I, I talk like, unlike, because James chapter 1, 19, he talks about how we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. I, I do almost the exact opposite. I'm just, I'm almost just very quick to go to words, very quick to go to language instead of just learning what it means to sit and listen, be quiet. So for me, what this looks like um, is after reading a passage in God's Word, for instance, instead of going immediately to prayer or going immediately to start writing notes or questions down or, oh, that's a good idea for a sermon or whatever it is. Instead, I just sit quietly in the moment and just allow whatever truth I've just read to be absorbed into the soil of my heart and my mind. Just stop talking and let it sit. Maybe if you're a parent with a young kid and you're, you're silencing or soothing your child, they're crying at night, you finally got them quiet, maybe you're rocking in the chair, or you take them for a drive, whatever it is. And then something like this, you just say a simple prayer for your child, a simple prayer for your family, and then say nothing. Just sit quietly and listening for the gentle whisper of the Spirit's voice in response to your prayers. Most of us are not good at this. We don't know how to do it. So it takes practice. But I guarantee the more you do it, the better we get at hearing, the better we get at listening. At the end of the day, the, the point of these two disciplines is just about removing as many distractions as possible in order to better hear the voice of our Good Shepherd, which, as we've seen, rather than being something to avoid, something we need to be afraid of and, and, and get away from, it's a voice our hearts desperately need to hear, that we should want to hear. As our Shepherd, He knows our needs better than anyone. He loves to provide peace and rest and nourishment, and He knows how to provide them in a way that we can actually receive them. He knows you individually and how you particularly will best receive the word and the nourishment he wants to give you. But generally speaking, that's what he wants for all of us in some degree or another. What's what Jesus says, Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. I have rest for you. Or 
thinking of this shepherd analogy, John 10. Jesus says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought it all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Do you know the voice of your shepherd? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And man, that right there, that last part, I lay down my life, that's, that's the greatest example of all of why we can trust the voice of this shepherd who calls us. For not only has he promised protection, not only has he promised provision for his sheep, he's proven. He's proven his goodness. He's proven this steadfast love that he says will follow his sheep all the days of our lives by laying down his very life on our behalf. He's showing us that there's no limit to how far he'll go in order to protect and to provide for his own. Now, if you've been here over the last number of months, <clears throat> you would already know that this practice of kind of sitting in silence before God, that we've been it's something we've been learning to practice together already. I haven't been like setting you up. I'm just, I've been doing it because it's good. It's something we should do, and we're just learning to do it together. So at the end of each message, we'll take some time to just sit quietly before God and listen. So I want to practice that together again now, hopefully, first of all, just with a greater understanding of what we're meant to be doing in that time, in this kind of corporate time of silence together. But again, the, the time that we're doing this corporately is in order to give you an idea to then begin asking yourself, okay, what could this look like in my life when I leave here today? As I go out this week, where can I start thinking about a place where I could just get quiet for a few minutes? What does it look like to shut things off and just be quiet, even shut off my own inner voice and just listen? So here's what I want to do in closing, just continuing to learn this practice together. I want to read this psalm one more time aloud over us again, and then I just want to sit quietly. Okay, there's going to be no music playing. No talking. I know this sounds weird, but I don't want you to pray. I don't want you to do anything. If you need to close your eyes, whatever it is, and we're just going to practice becoming more comfortable with silence, learning to listen for the voice of our Good Shepherd. And then after a few minutes, we'll come and we'll take the Lord's Supper together and feed on the nourishment that he has for our souls. <clears throat>